Hello and welcome back to Days Gone By, a podcast that's part of the Scattered Abroad Network. My name is Jameson Stewart, and today's episode of Days Gone By is a sermon preached by Don Walker. And the title of his lesson is The Grace of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Don, Don Walker preached this sermon back in August of 2016 at the Forest Hill Church of Christ there in Memphis or just outside of Memphis, Tennessee in Germantown. Don Walker was one of my instructors, one of my teachers when I was in preaching school at the Memphis School of Preaching, uh, a man that I counted as a, a friend, a mentor, a brother, uh, someone that still to this day I miss very dearly. And I know that you will be benefited and that you will be encouraged and uplifted by this sermon and this episode of Days Gone By with Don Walker. The psalmist proclaimed in Psalm 118 in verse 24, This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every day is the Lord's day, a gift for you and me. But today is a special day for it's the first day of the week where he has blessed us with another opportunity to gather together in the name of his son to come together and to put our mind upon the sacrifice that he gave for you and me and also for us to have the opportunity to turn our attention to him and to study from his word and to bring forth a message from the word of the Lord. We as members of the body of Christ are very well aware concerning the topic of grace. We understand that it is by the grace of God that we are saved, Ephesians 2 and verse 8. The world recognizes probably the most significant verse in the minds of those of the world, at least in the sense of being known, John three sixteen, and it focuses upon the gift of God, the grace of of our God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it is you and I understanding the great gift that God has provided for us, a free gift, not cheap, but free. We ought to be a people of grace. We ought to understand it. And so it is, we know in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 that our Lord Jesus Christ has been gracious toward us. And it's something that we need to be aware of. It's something that we need to meditate upon. It's something that we need to keep close to our minds. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he acknowledged to them, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you and I think of that statement, think of that idea, the gift that he provided for us, certainly our minds go back to the cross. Our minds, as it were, they were just a moment ago, focused upon his death, which through that death, you and I can have life. That's where the gift was expressed. That's where the gift was provided. That's where the blood which cleanses us was shed. That precious blood of Christ which provides for you and me a cleansing, which allows us to stand in the very presence of a holy God. What a gift. What grace. But as we study further this passage, and as we study further the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of Christ, we recognize that it goes much deeper than that. 
And so this morning, what we want to do is we would like to turn our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. And we will spend our time studying this passage. It's in the context of giving where Paul speaks of the Corinthians giving. He will give them examples. He says of the Macedonians, they first gave themselves to the Lord, chapter 8 and verse 5. And so it is, he's telling them that in their giving, they ought to give bountifully. And you and I know that he's talking of more than just dollars and cents and it includes our lives. It includes our time, our energy, our effort. And so in this context of giving, he gives us the best example, the strongest example, the greatest example, our Savior Jesus Christ. And he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Point number one, though he were rich. Paul, what do you mean by that? Though he were rich. When I turn my attention back to the Old Testament, as I study, I realize very swiftly that the emphasis of the Old Testament is upon Jesus Christ, that that is the focus. The emphasis, the main thrust, Christ is coming. And so the Holy Spirit, through these inspired men, is introducing Christ, letting the Jews know what they ought to be looking for what it is that they should be observing, what it is they should see, and when he comes, that they might recognize him. We see in Genesis chapter 3, 15, the seed of woman would bruise the head of the serpent. We see in chapter 22, it would come from the seed of Abraham, from the tribe of Judah, chapter 49. We go on into uh, 2 Samuel. We learn there's a covenant made with David. We follow through. But if we're not careful, as we go through the Old Testament, there are times when we may overlook that the one that we are beholding in the context is Christ. It's the second person of the Godhead. For example, I turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, you'll remember there, Isaiah will behold the Lord sitting on the throne, verse 1. You go on down to verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 6, and we hear the seraphim and the cherubim, and they're proclaiming, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, Yahweh, Jehovah of hosts. That is the one that is sitting upon that throne that Isaiah beholds. I don't know how long I assumed that that was the father that was sitting upon that throne. And that was the father that Isaiah was beholding and that the cherubim were proclaiming holiness to be proclaimed unto him. However, if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do, open with me to the 12th chapter of the book of John. And in John chapter 12, John is speaking of those things that Jesus has done, talking about his miracles. And we pick up in our reading in verse 37, and look carefully to what John writes for us. He says, but though he, that's Jesus Christ that he's talking about, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. They didn't believe Jesus. And he goes on and says that the saying of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
Now he's quoting from Isaiah 53 and verse 1. And so why are they not believing this? The arm of the Lord, the strength of Jehovah, the strength of Almighty God is being displayed through his son, Jesus Christ. The miracles that he is doing, they are a witness that God is with him. Why are they not seeing that? He continues on. That the saying of Isaiah, uh, or I'm sorry, verse uh, 39, therefore they could not believe. Because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Now that is Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 10. Isaiah 6 and verse 10. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory. He's talking about Christ. That's the context here. When Isaiah saw his glory, Christ's glory, he said, he said these things and spake of him. Well, that's Isaiah chapter 6. We could go to Exodus chapter 3 for another example where we see Moses standing before the burning bush. We read that context. We learn that it is the angel of the Lord, the messenger of Yahweh that speaks. We learn that it is Yahweh that speaks. We learn that it is God that speaks. All of those terms, those names are used concerning the one speaking out of the burning bush. He is Jehovah. He is the messenger of Jehovah who is Jehovah himself. You go through and read and you will see that the angel of the Lord, predominantly in the Old Testament, if not exclusively, is in reference to the second person of the Godhead. Now, what's your point, Don? My point is this. We might overlook him in those contexts if we're not careful because he was rich. That is, he was on equal standing with the first person of the Godhead in every way, period. No exception. None at all. Not even in the area of authority. And we need to keep that in mind. That's where Jesus stood. We spoke of grace being free, but not cheap. You see, the need for grace was because of a great debt. A debt that I acquired. That is the debt for my sin. The wages of sin is death. And I have an inability to pay that debt. There's no way that I can pay that debt with the exception of being condemned and separated eternally from my God. Now that's death, separation. But Jesus paid that price. And so he offers the price, he pays the price and turns around and then offers the gift of the salvation that is acquired by that grace that price that he paid. And so it's free to me, but definitely not cheap. And so when we continue in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. For your sakes he became poor. In John chapter 1, in the prologue, John proclaims, that the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, our Savior, is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. There's the emphasis of that verse. The Word was God, Deity, Jehovah. 
And we drop on down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And all the significance of that thought, the significance of that term. That the word became flesh. The one that is God became flesh. He became man. When we turn to the Hebrew letter in Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. We learn that Jesus is superior to the angels and that we ought not to worship angels. And the Hebrew writer anticipates an argument that if he were made lower than the angels and he should be worshipped, which he should, then angels who are higher than he is, why should they not be worshipped? And so the Hebrew writer continues into Hebrews chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles again, open with me. To Hebrews chapter 2 and he's going to let them know why it is that Christ should be worshipped but the angels should not and the reason that that is true he begins in verse 9 is because of what Jesus accomplished in the flesh what Jesus accomplished as a man and so we begin in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 2 but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death Crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God, he should taste of death for every man. The reason that Jesus had to become flesh was so that he could pay the price for yours and my sin. The wages of sin is death. The Old Testament taught us that life is in the blood, Leviticus 17, 11, And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4. And Hebrews 9, 27 rather. And so we see that this price is paid. It's the grace of God. And so he became flesh so he could die. Now listen to what he continues to say. For it became him from whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And so here Christ becomes flesh to blaze a trail for you and me. So that we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Why? Because his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Psalm 23. Because he has blazed that trail. And he had to become flesh to do that. He continues on. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Though he were rich, he became poor. He took on flesh to be associated with you and me, to be associated with those who had sinned so that through his sacrifice, they could become cleansed of their sins and stand with God. He continues on. He says, saying, I will declare their name, uh, thy name unto my brethren, verse 12, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is, the devil. The reason that Christ should be praised and the reason that he is superior to angels, even though he is made lower than the angels, is because of what he accomplished in that standing, in that place. He accomplished what you and I could not accomplish. We could not provide for ourselves that we might stand holy again with our God. He accomplished what angels could not accomplish. 
They could not have paid the price for years of my sin. He accomplished what God the Father and what God the Holy Spirit could not accomplish. For they are spirit and had no blood to shed. He and he alone could pay that price. And so it is, though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Now, we go to Philippians chapter 2, another great context on this topic. And in that context, the Apostle Paul is speaking of service. We have chapters in the Bible that when we hear the chapter, there's a certain thought that comes to our mind, right? For example, if I were to say 1 Corinthians 13, love comes to our mind. Or if I were to say Hebrews chapter 11, well, it's the great chapter of faith. And when I say Philippians chapter 2, we ought to automatically think of service. For in that chapter, that's the whole point that the Apostle Paul develops in, in this chapter. He gives us really four examples of it. First, he exhorts us to service. The first four verses, and really into verse 5, he emphasizes for us that we are to humble ourselves, we're to look to the good of others, we're to count others better than ourselves. He's calling us to serve and to do so in an humble way. And then he'll give us four examples. I'm going to skip the first one just to highlight this point, and then we'll come back to it. The second example he gives is himself. For he uses language of the Old Testament associated with sacrifices and says, I am ready to be offered up for you. In other words, I'm ready to lay my life down for you if that's what it takes and if that's what's going to follow. And then he turns around after he speaks of me, himself, Paul, being willing to lay his life down. He turns and says, and Timothy is of the same mindset. And I have no other that is like-minded as I am, like Timothy is, and he will also serve you in an humble way. And then he drops on down to verse 25, and he names one of them, Epaphroditus, who had been laboring with Paul, sent by them to work with Paul, to assist Paul, who he had to return with this epistle because he was ill. And he wants him to know, I'm not sending him back because he didn't fulfill his task. Not at all. Because his service brought him, service to the Lord brought him nigh unto death. And so here's another servant. But the first example he gives us, of course, is the greatest example, and that is Jesus Christ. And he segues from, you be humble, you serve, in verse 5, and let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And then notice what he says, beginning with verse 6, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now here's the point that he's making here. The American Standard Version says, thought equality with God not something to be grasped, to be held on to. He was willing to let go of it. Equality with God, though he were rich, not something to be held on to. He became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now, I want you to notice something here. And this is what sets us apart from the Trinitarian. The Trinitarian teaches that Jesus Christ was always, eternally, the Son of God. And that is not true. He was rich, equal with God in every way. 
But he thought that equality not something to be held on to. He was willing to let go of that. And so he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, made in the likeness of man, and became obedient unto death. He took a position of subservience to the authority of the Father. And he was so focused on that point, John emphasizes that all the way throughout. John 4, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. John chapter 5, verse 19, verse 30, verse 36. Jesus says, I do nothing on my own or of myself. What I see the Father do, what he gives me to do, that's what I do. So focused on that. Why? Because I'm a servant, a bond slave. That's the term used in Philippians chapter 2. The only time it's used of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. He became a bond slave to the will of the Father for you and me. Though he were rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. He became poor. Now you and I know the blessing that comes from that decision. If we decide to avail ourselves to the grace of God. If we decide to accept the gift that he provides for us on his terms, and it can only be on his terms. It's not earning salvation. Not at all. There's no way we could earn salvation. Even if we do all that we can do, we still count ourselves unprofitable servants because we've done that which is our duty to do. But in that each one of us have sinned, then we recognize that there's no way I by myself can do enough good to deal with that one transgression, if it were only one. So that gift is there. He became poor that ye, through his poverty, might be rich, so that we might benefit from that. And again, as we've gone, we note all of this, and this is nothing new to us. Christians are well aware of this point. But I want us to consider for a moment as we bring this lesson to a close, tied together, that it doesn't stop there. He became poor. We know he died on the cross. We know his blood was shed. We know the power of that blood. We rejoice in that. We remember it every week. We're, we're never more than seven days away from thinking about the death of Christ. And hopefully we think on it much more often than that. But that's not the end. We know that he was raised from the grave, and we know that's the victory, and you and I can share in that victory because we have associated ourselves with the sacrifice. They had to put their hands on the head of the sacrifice in the Old Testament. We must be baptized into our sacrifice, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We must be associated with him. And we know he was raised from the dead and we can share in that victory. But not only was he raised from the dead in Acts 2 verses 30 and 31, Peter says he was raised to reign. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And we are his bond slaves, servants to him. And it's a privilege that we have that God has provided for us at great cost. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But now let's turn our attention to that thought 
And let's turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul addresses this point from the vantage point of when he returns. When our king descends to gather his righteous. He's not coming back to the earth. We know that. We shall meet him in the air, 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us. But he will come. And he will come for his own. Ephesians 5 says he'll present the church without blemish. And we turn our attention to 1 Corinthians 15 and we look at verse 24. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. Well, that's the church. That's you and me. That's all that have trusted in their God. Faithfully obeyed his will. And that, of course, includes the New Testament church that we read of in the Bible. Then cometh the end when he has, shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. He must reign till. That's an adverb of time. That tells me that the reign is going to come to an end at some time. He must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. Now the he there is God the Father. We read in Ephesians 1 that he raised him to sit at his right hand, put all things, principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named under his authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, Matthew 28 and verse 18. For he hath put all things under his feet, verse 27. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. That's God the Father. So here's Christ, all things put under his authority with one exception, God the Father. Remember, though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, subservient to the will of the Father, a bond slave to God's will, submissive to his authority. Uh, and when all things shall be subdued, verse 28, unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, Paul writes, and Timothy was written after the crucifixion, after the ascension, after the establishment of the church. It applies today, this minute, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, himself, the man, Christ Jesus. He's still the man, Christ Jesus, as he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we see that position. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we're to set our affection on things that are above because our citizenship is in heaven. From whence, heaven, we look for our Lord to return when he shall change our vile bodies, the American Standard Version, the body of our humiliation, talking about our physical, temporal carnal bodies, the, the bodies that are immortal, or, or rather that are mortal, that fade away. He shall change our temporary bodies, 
the tabernacles that we dwell in here, dwell in here, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and following, so that it may be like unto his glorious body, the body he possesses. He did not possess that body when he was rich. He did not possess that body until Mary was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Christ was conceived of the Holy Spirit and Mary was with child. That's when he had the body, the physical body. Because he ascended to heaven and is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, he now possesses that spiritual body. Spiritual, yes, but a body nonetheless, one that the Father does not have, one that the Holy Spirit does not have, one that you and I will have. And that he will have even when we enter into glory. Think about that a moment. Though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that ye through his poverty might be rich. And when you and I have the privilege of standing before our God, our Lord will stand with us. He is that link, that tie, the only one that can give us that access, John 14, 6, that privilege of standing in the presence of God. And he did it at great cost to him. Not just a death on the cross, as significant as that is but a, an eternal decision that he made. When I consider the sacrifice of my Lord, and I step back and I begin to read passages such as Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that we're to give our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. What other choice could I make when I realize what Christ has done for me? Or I go to passages such as Philippians 1 and verse 21. For me to live is Christ. There's no other emphasis. Everything else must be molded and everything else must be decided based upon the fact that I serve Jesus Christ. But what a small price to pay. Considering the price he paid for yours and my opportunity to stand with God. When I think of passages such as Galatians 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live in the life that I now live is his. That's only right. It only makes sense. Nothing else makes sense. Or I hear the words of my Savior. If any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. What other choice can I make? What other decision is there but to give ourselves totally and completely to my God, to our God, so that we, through our Savior Jesus Christ, at great expense to him, great privilege for us, may be able to fulfill the very purpose that he put us here to bring glory unto the Father, to glorify our God. If we are in the body of Christ, which most of us in here are. These are things that we ought to meditate on often. This ought to fill our minds. In those times that it becomes a little bit hard 
and may be a little bit like drudgery to us, we need to stop right there. And as Brother Moser pointed out in class, get that out of your head and bring the sacrifice Christ made on your behalf and see how that will energize you to be more faithful. How that will empower you to continue on the course that God sets forth for us. That's how we ought to pursue our following of God. That's why we ought to. For those who are outside of the body of Christ, this sacrifice was made for you. The price was paid for you. The blood can cleanse you and bring you to a position where you are free from your sins, where you are standing in the presence of God, and where you can give a reasonable response to what Christ has done for you, what Christ has offered to you. The Bible's very clear that this grace is free, though there are prerequisites to our receiving it. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the Son of God. You must believe that. Our way has led us to sin. We've got to change our minds from that. We've got to repent of that and follow Christ. We must be willing to confess Jesus Christ as Savior. He is worthy without a question. And be baptized for the remission of sins. When I am baptized in water, God works. He operates. He takes the blood of Christ and washes my sins away. I rise up to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 3, and 4. That was also Colossians 2, 12. And he adds me to the one body, the church, the body of the saved, Acts 2, 47. There I stand in the presence of deity. There I can truly, genuinely fully express my appreciation for the great gift that Christ has provided for me. If I'm a child of God and have not been faithful, if I have not lived a life that acknowledges in my action, in my speech, in my thoughts what Christ has done for me, then I've fallen short, way too short, and I ought to be ashamed. But I ought to turn to God and know that he is faithful and just to forgive my sins if I'll confess them. If I'm out of step, that's the first step. Come back and then meditate and appreciate what Christ has done. We're going to extend the Lord's invitation. It's an invitation that is full of meaning. An invitation based on the fact that he was rich, but he became poor so that we could be rich. It's his invitation offered to any who need to come, and we encourage you to do so while we stand and while we sing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.